I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. can imagine that water was cold. That water was cold up there. So hey, we're so glad that uh, you all are here to join us at First Church. If it's your first time, welcome. We're so glad you're, you're with us. Um, right now, not only do we have people in front of us in person for service, we also have some people online. And so if you all with me would uh, uh, join me in, as we welcome them into our service time, into worship. Well, as you can probably tell already, if you can't tell, hopefully you know by now that it's a little bit different this morning. Uh, this is Youthquake Aftershock Services, and uh, Youthquake is, a, is a, one of the most anticipated high school events that we do throughout the year. We've been doing it since 1981, uh, and so it's deep within the DNA within our, our church, first church here. And so it's been a great, great year. We took 149 students and adults with us from our church, and we joined another church up there, and we had over three hundred people with us worshiping at 10,000 feet, an elevation on, on the base of Little Baldy Mountain at Camp Como. It was incredible. And so uh, not only, not only did, did we do that, uh, but we also celebrated uh, because it's, it's, it's extra special this year. Why? Because it's been two years since we did Youthquake on the mountain in Colorado. Last year, we did a Youthquake Oklahoma edition, you know, whitewater rafting on the Arkansas River compared to floating down the Illinois River. There's just a little bit of a difference, a lot of difference. Uh, and, and, and trying to do that, we still had a great time last year, but it was highly anticipated uh, by all of us to get back up there and to, uh, to do that. The other reason it was super exciting to, to be there this year is because it celebrated our 40th anniversary of Youthquake, which is really just incredible. Again, since 1981, it's been a phenomenal uh, run. I've been a little over 20 years, and it's, it's been, it's, it's very close and dear to my heart. So um, now the best part, though, about Youthquake and you've, if, you, if you've come to First Church very long, you should already know this. You should probably, if you ask people, what's your story? You know, how long you've been a part of Youthquake? If there's any history with people within our church, more than likely they've been to Youthquake. And more than likely they have a story to share about what God has done through them, in them, in their hearts while on the mountain there. And so one of the best parts about Youthquake is the life change that happens. And I see heads nodding because some of you in, in this audience with us, probably some that are watching online as well, you have a history with Youthquake in some way or another. And so uh, what, what was no different this year compared to the other 39 years is just what God did through people. So we had five baptisms that we had on the mountain that you saw a video of, which was phenomenal. It was awesome. God did, a, God did a great thing there, and he's continuing to do it off the mountain. We also had one baptism just uh, uh, earlier in our first service, which was phenomenal. Uh, Rance Ham was baptized and gave his life to Christ. 
And then, uh, and then we also have multiple decisions that are being made. People who are like, you know, I've, I've not been living for Jesus. I've given my life to Christ, but I need to get back on track. I need to rededicate my life to him. And so they make those decisions either on the mountain or as we come down and we continue these conversations with our students and, and even our adults. Like we, we know that, that Satan is after us, right? He's trying to cause division. He's trying to, sell, uh, to separate. And, uh, and when we are in those moments, God and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, speaks to our students uh, through the messages, through the devos, through the conversations on the hike, up the mountain, on the water, and hearing the stories from our our guides that are with us, Noah's Ark Whitewater Rafting, a Christian organization that we've been with uh, since the 80s when they started as well. And it's just a really amazing thing what happens on the mountain. We had three students that uh, wanted to talk to us and kind of communicated that they want to really heavily consider going into full-time vocational ministry, which is a huge praise God moment for sure. And I know there are others as well. So all that to say, many, many decisions, and they're still happening. God is still teaching us. We tell our students to bring in our adults everything that we learned and were challenged with by the Holy Spirit that God spoke to us. Let's bring it off the mountain. Let's bring it back to Oklahoma. Let's bring it to the universities we're going to, to our jobs, to our teams, to, to our businesses, wherever we may work. Now, this morning, Andrew Trotter and I, we're both going to share a, a, a portion of the messages that each of us shared uh, there on the mountain. We had five different youth ministers that we all spoke, and, and, uh, and the whole theme of this year was contrast. And so we all spoke about different contrasts that we had, or when we look at, when we look at uh, uh, Jesus's last 12 hours on, on earth and, and, and everything that he kind of communicated there, there's several, there's multiple things that he shared that there's some contrasts that he, he spoke about. This morning, I'm going to be focused in Mark chapter 14. If you want to pull your Bibles out or pull out your app, that's where we're going to be today. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to be focusing on three verses this morning here real briefly. And in this moment, what's going on is Jesus is, in, 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 what we see in this scripture is we see Obviously, Jesus is God in the flesh. You've heard us say that from this platform, hopefully in your own studies. We see that God sent his son Jesus as God in the flesh. Now with that, this is one of the areas in scripture where we see that Jesus really felt this like, we see the the human being in him. He's not just God that comes and he's in this body and, and, and he doesn't feel pain, he's never tempted, he's never emotional or anything like, no, 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 no. God in the flesh, he felt everything that he went through physically. He, he, he was tempted multiple times by the devil and, and, and other things, and, but he didn't give in to those things. So we see in this scripture right here, this is another one of those areas where we see that, that God was, Jesus was in fact God and human. God in the flesh. And so what's happening right here as we enter into this, this, uh, this uh, section of scripture is uh, Jesus entering the Garden of Gethsemane. Now this is where he goes to pray to God because he is starting to feel the weight of what's getting ready to happen just hours away. This, 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 this is, at, you know, he's been doing ministry for three and a half years with these disciples. He knows what has to happen. He knows why he's there. He's God's son, but he's, he is suddenly feeling the weight of this. So just before this moment, 
uh, Jesus, uh, he's had his last supper with the disciples and, and taught him, uh, taught all of them about that and went through the last supper. He, is, he, is, uh, uh, he predicted uh, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, betraying him. That's already happened. He's also predicted uh, and spoke to Peter about, you're going to deny me three times, which Peter argued with him, one of his closest disciples. No way, never going to deny you. I love you, Jesus. You are my God. He's predicting already that, 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 uh, that Peter's going to deny him three times times, but it's also right before he's arrested. Again, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in Scripture, Jesus says that he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. But let's take a look at, uh, at Mark chapter 14, verse 34, and we'll start here. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. As he's talking to his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. Now, in in Eugene Peterson, in the message translation, says it like this. He sank into a pit of suffocating darkness, and he told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Jesus is feeling the weight, this heavy weight, and he's showing his human side here as he is entering the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's getting ready to enter this prayer. And here's what's getting ready to take place. The Garden of Gethsemane, it's becoming a battleground here. Light and darkness are beginning to crash. The victor of this battle would would claim the untold millions of people. Your soul and my soul, they are at stake. Our eternal destiny would be decided within this battle. If Jesus doesn't go through the will of the Father, then the last three and a half years of his ministry are in vain. If Jesus refuses to obey God, then death remains unconquered and our sins forever and ever upon us. Verse 35. He goes on, when he went on a little further, he went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. The message translation says that he prayed for a way out. Now I can see as he prays this prayer because Satan, no, if you don't already know, know that he was present. Satan is is doing everything that he can to interfere with this moment, with this battleground. He knows where Jesus is. He knows in this moment that Jesus is beginning to struggle in that sense of, you know, if, if there's any way, God, then take this from me. May it pass. And so in this moment, I see a smile coming across the face of Satan, for he knows that if Jesus fails this task, not only does he win the battle, he's gonna win the war. Ever since Jesus was born in the world, Satan was trying to defeat him, and every single time, it didn't happen. Every single time, he was defeated. But now it seems as though he might succeed if he can just whisper despair into the ears of Jesus. If he could just plant these seeds of doubt if he could cause Jesus to focus on the horror of the battle in front of him rather than the outcome, if he could somehow deter Christ's attention from the results of obedience, he would finally have his victory against God. That's what Satan's thinking here. And as he mocks Jesus, Jesus begins to see the cup of sacrifice that he must drink. And one more time, Jesus prays, verse 30, 36. 
Abba, Father. Now, Abba here in Aramaic is, is the tra- in this translation is this, as if a son who is feeling the weight of, of despair is going to his father and crying out to his father for help. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Again, the enemy laughs. The enemy laughs as he's watching, as he's watching a lion stalking its prey. He knows what Jesus was seeing in the cup. Maybe he was, maybe in the cup that, that Jesus was looking at when he asked that God takes this cup, maybe he was seeing the betrayal of Jesus. Maybe he, when he looked into the cup, he saw his own mock trial. Maybe he, he, uh, he saw the betrayal of Judas. Maybe he saw the loneliness, the loneliness that he would experience as a sacrificial lamb. Maybe he even saw the sting of death. Whatever it was that he saw, it caused him to cry out to God the Father to take it away. And in that brief moment, his enemy, his arch enemy, had some confidence. The devil thought he had won. He thought, finally, I have God right where I want him and humanity is mine for the taking. And I can see as he begins to to circle Jesus like a scavenger circling its meal. And as he begins to revel in victory, I see Jesus in this moment. He stands up and he squares his shoulders and he looks Satan right in the eyes and he finishes the prayer and says, yet I want your will to be done talking to God, not mine. See the contrast there? In that moment, you could have dropped an atomic bomb on Satan and it wouldn't have come even close to the devastation that was carried out by these words. Why? Because it showed the heart of of Jesus. Jesus was saying, my will is submissive to my Father. And if he has chosen this path for me, then I will walk it. If it is his will that I have to face rejection of my friends, then I will face it. If it is his will that I must face the betrayal, then I will face it. If it is his will that I must give back to those who strikes me, then I will give my cheek to those who pluck out my beard, and I will give my face to those who spit on me. Then so be it. Let God's will be done. For I know that when my Father's will is accomplished, that on the other side of that trial is a victory. On the other side of that cross, there is a resurrection. It might be my Father's will that you bruise my heel now, but in three days from now, I will walk out of that borrowed tomb and I'm gonna bruise your head because that's also my Father's will. So go ahead and beat my back, place a crown of thorns on my head, drive nails into my hands and my feet, pierce my side, But have you forgotten what the prophet Isaiah said? It's the Father's will. But know this devil. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was uh, was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. The contrast that we spoke about on the mountain and that we are speaking about, I'm speaking about briefly right now, is not my will, not my will, but my Father's will, your will be done. Not my will, but God's will. We all have a choice to make as Christ followers. How are we gonna live our lives? 
you know, I, I fully believe that the Holy Spirit, that God calls us to, 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 to action, to live out what he's called us to do. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes there's those moments where you're like, but I'm gonna have to change so much or I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I mean, how will people look at me? I own my business. If I start changing how I, I act and treat them, what's that gonna look like? If I lead a team, if, 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 I'm, if I'm walking the, the hallways of my school or my class or I've got my friend group or my social group, if I just like give it all to him, that's scary. I don't know if I can do that. Not my will, but God's will. Look at what Jesus did to us or in what we read in what he shared. But not my will, Father. If you can take this cup, do it, but it, it's not about me. He knew what he had to do. Maybe for some in here, you've never given your life to Jesus yet. Maybe you've been living your will out and you're ready to turn that into your will and you want to give it up and go to God's will. Maybe for the first time in your life, maybe you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, whether you're with us or online. Maybe you do that. Maybe you reach out to someone. Maybe you have that conversation. But again, we had multiple students that made that decision on, on the mountain. We had one earlier in this service, uh, earlier, uh, in, in the earlier service. And what's really exciting is we have another one right now. And so Trotter's gonna introduce who we have. Hey everyone, this is Sophie. And Sophie uh, at Youthquake decided to give her life to Jesus, which is awesome. Uh, I asked her, like, kind of what were some of the things that made you want to do that? And one of the things, I'm sure there were many, one of those things was just the worship, right? And whenever we worship a holy and perfect God, it makes us want to give our life to him. So this is Sophie and her friend Kate and her uh, midweek life group leader, Addison. And so I'm going to uh, take her confession of faith, and then Addison is going to baptize her. So Sophie, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. And do you accept him now as your Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Awesome. So <laughs> upon your confession of faith, you are now going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, that is awesome, seeing someone choose to give their life to Jesus and to go from a dead person to someone who is born again to new life. This morning, I get to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I wish I had longer to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. At Youthquake, the students didn't have their phones on them, so they couldn't see how long I was going. Like, I know some of you guys might be kind of watching that. That's okay. Um, all I know is that it was light outside when I started, and it was dark outside when I finished. So I'm going to try not to do that to you guys this morning. All right. I talked with Chad, and he said, no, Trotter, we're trying to get more people into service, not snoring people into service. So I was like, you know what? You're probably right. He definitely did say that. You can ask him about it later. So uh, I, wish, I wish I could talk um, a long time about the resurrection of Jesus. I wish I could talk about the reasonableness of the resurrection, about how it's more reasonable to believe that the resurrection happened than to believe that it didn't happen. 
I wish I could spend time talking about the importance of the resurrection. How if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of this is pointless. We shouldn't be here worshiping and praising and taking communion because that's how important it is. But I don't have time to talk about all of that, and and that's okay. Uh, Here we are, down a minute already, spent on a bad joke and wishful thinking. But don't mistake a brevity for senselessness and shortness for silliness. Because this morning, I want to contrast dead versus living. Death versus life. Weakness versus might. I want to contrast a dark tomb versus a vacant room. Bondage versus baptism. Slavery versus salvation. Sin's persuasion to our Savior's power. And we get all of those things when we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, the one truth I want you to take home with you today is this. Because of the resurrection, sin is powerless through baptism. There was a man who wrote a good portion of our New Testament. His name is Paul. And Paul is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, evangelist and missionary and church planner ever. And he was used to sharing the good news. The good news that God created a perfect world with perfect laws, but we rebelled against that perfection of God. And because our rebellion, we were cast away from God. Not because uh, he uh, threw us out, but because we chose to leave it. And the result, the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. And the good news is that God so loved us that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay that penalty, to die for us. So that whoever believes in him doesn't have to die, but will have eternal life with our loving Father in heaven. And so Paul was pretty used to sharing this good news. The good news that our sins have been taken away, that our past, present, and future sins are gone through the death of Jesus Christ. And so he's writing a letter to a church in Rome, and he's sharing this good news. And he's done this enough times that he knows what's coming next. He knows how people are going to respond. And the common question is, well, if all my sins have been taken away, past, present, and future, why should I work so hard to stop sinning? Does it really matter? Like, if they're already taken away. And this is how Paul responds in Romans chapter 6. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Everyone say, by no means. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. And how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, it's true that Jesus uh, died for your sins, but you have to accept that gift. And when you accept that gift, you obey his teaching and you are baptized into his name, just like we saw Sophie do. And those who are baptized, we, we take them into the water and we bury them in that water. And in that moment, they're connected to Christ's death. Their old self is gone. And whenever they raise from the water, they're connected to his resurrection. And they are raised to new life. Paul continues. He says this 
It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his through baptism, through the burial in water, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Because of the resurrection, sin is powerless through baptism. If you've been baptized into Christ, you always have the power to say no to sin. Sin is no longer your master. You no longer have to fear it nor fall for it. It's not that sin has less power in your life. It's that sin is powerless in your life. Sin only has power over that person who stayed in the water. And anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let me try to paint a picture for you. There are two houses. Anyone who has ever lived and whoever will live always lives in one of these two houses. See, the first house is the house of sin. This house is full of lies, of abuse, of manipulation on sin's part because sin always promises one thing and then never delivers on that promise. But this house is also kind of like a party house because sin is pretty fun, right? It's okay to admit that sinning is fun, but so is skydiving. Skydiving is pretty fun until you realize you don't have a parachute, right? Sin is the same way. Sin is fun until you realize that it will never catch you. It will always let you fall. It will always overpromise and underdeliver. And the worst part about this house is that it looks like a house, but in fact it's a prison because no one leaves on their own accord. And sin is the master. This is the first house. The second house is the house of Jesus Christ. This house is freedom. While that house was full of lies and deception and abuse and manipulation, this house is full of love and grace and truth and freedom in Christ Jesus. That is this house right here. And what's great is that whenever we believe in Christ and we are baptized for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are transported from one house to the other. See, if you're not in prison, the warden has no control over you. When you leave this house and you are living in the house of Jesus Christ, the warden of the prison of sin no longer has control over you. Because again, we, we already read this, but Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Sin has no power over you. Here's the deal. There's no middle ground. You are either a slave or you have salvation. There's no gray area. There's no parole for the spiritual life. You can't be in both houses. But if you are free, you are free indeed because who the Son sets free is free indeed. And because of the resurrection, sin is powerless through baptism. See, some of you are living in this house. Some of you have been freed from sin. But some of you have a hard time acting like the resurrection has power in your life. If you have been baptized, you have the resurrection spirit 
of Jesus living inside of you. And sin no longer has power. And some of you are wrestling with a sin that is in your heart. And you need to go to that sin and say, listen, you do not have a warrant to be here. You need to get out. Because I live in a house that is free in Jesus Christ. And sin no longer has power over me. Some of you need to wrestle with that sin. You need to kick it out of your life. And you can because the resurrection has power. And some of you are in this house. Whether you realize it or not, whether um, you're choosing to live in this house, I want you to know that you don't have to stay here. The home of Jesus Christ is welcoming and it's waiting for you. And maybe today you need to make that decision. You need to talk to me or James or Chad or the person who brought you or the person sitting next to you about making that decision to following Jesus and being free from this house. And just like Sophie said, today uh, worship has power, right, to change lives. And one of the songs we sang this morning said this, Once I was broken, but you loved my whole heart through. Sin has no hold on me because grace holds me now. Do you believe it? Because of the resurrection, sin is powerless through baptism. So how are you going to live today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your son and dying for me. Thank you so much for the resurrection power in my life. Help me remember that I have that resurrection power. And I pray for everyone here and everyone watching online that they too would know that sin can be powerless and is powerless through baptism, through freedom in Jesus Christ. Thank you for who you are. And I pray all these things in your son's holy and miraculous and resurrected name, Jesus Christ. Amen.